but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, and live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as always, we pray for insight and understanding on who you are and who we are and the kind of relationship that you're calling us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as always, we are uh, glad that you are here today. Again, great to see you, everyone. Jocelyn, thank you for uh, that great three questions. And uh, Elijah, thanks for uh, welcoming us here today. Well, we are continuing our series, Kingdom Living in a Politically Divided World. While it's a conversation that we're going to continue to have, uh, we, this is the second to the last message in the series. And so we have been wrestling with what it means to be a resident, a participant in the kingdom of God, but also a resident in the global world. Now, we are uh, one week removed from the announcement. Literally, this time last week, we had just heard that Joe Biden had indeed won the 2020 general election here in the United States. And yet, as we've seen over the last week, that certainly didn't solve all the problems. We are still faced with a deeply divided country and a deeply divided world. And so our question, again, continues to be, how do we live as a participant in God's kingdom while also being a force for good in our contemporary context in the world around us? And uh, so we are looking at this uh, passage from uh, the Apostle Paul to the great city of Rome back in the first uh, century. And there is a lot that has been said in this passage about how to live both as a participant in the kingdom and as a resident in our world. It's helpful to note that Romans chapter 12 is specifically talking about how an individual interacts with other individuals, both in the context of the faith community, but also in the wider world. Romans 13, which guest Michelle Dima will talk about next week as we wrap up this series, uh, she'll be talking about the kingdom participants' relationship with the state or the, the governing authorities. But today we're looking at how individuals interact with each other and how we, as participants in the kingdom, are to interact again with people in the community of faith, but also in society at large. And so we read that we are to be sincere in love. We are to be devoted to each other in the kingdom community. We are to be joyful, be patient, be faithful in prayer. We are to share finances. We are to 
practice hospitality. And then the text again turns to the wider community of humans. Bless those who persecute you, Paul says. Live in harmony with one another. Now, if you know anything about the church in the first century, specifically in the context of Rome, and again, Paul is writing to the Roman church in particular uh, here, it would have been very hard to bless those who persecute you because the early uh, Christians were facing a lot of persecution, and we're talking about real hardcore persecution, as in you might die. And so, bless those who persecute you, Paul writes. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil for evil. All of these challenging challenging things. But then we get to the portion of the text that we want to focus on today. Paul says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Again, it's this particular exhortation that we're going to take a closer look at today. Now, the with everyone element of this is particularly interesting. Everyone means everyone. Most of the Bible commentators who write on this say Paul is clearly trying to emphasize that this is talking about everyone, not just people in the community of faith, but that we as, uh, as participants in the kingdom are designed to live at peace with everyone. That means people who are also outside of the kingdom, who haven't embraced a relationship with Jesus or who don't identify as, as part of our faith community, that people in the kingdom are, uh, are anticipated that they will live at peace with everyone. Now, Jesus himself introduced this idea in his uh, greatest sermon found in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So this idea of living at peace with everyone isn't something that Paul started. It goes back to Jesus that people who are part of the kingdom are to be peacemakers in the world at large. Now, you got to love uh, the, the as far as it depends on you portion, I think, of this statement, of this exhortation. Uh, the implication is that you, you as a participant in the kingdom, you shouldn't be the one responsible for uh, unrest. You, that, that's the, you shouldn't be the one who has created uh, problems. That's not your place. In fact, uh, if you're the one creating problems, then, then something is up. You, you can't be the one responsible for the root cause of the problems. That's what, <laughs> that's what Paul is getting at. If it is possible, it is possible to uh, be at peace with everyone. And so going on to think about that, if it is possible portion, the reality though is that sometimes it's not possible to live at peace, if injustice is taking place, there needs to be unrest. So there's there's this balance going on where uh, don't be responsible for creating the root problems to things, but but sometimes it's not possible to remain at peace. One commentator says it like this, uh, and this is reading from uh, uh, a commentary on the Epistle to Romans, and it says this: if it be possible, indicates that it may not always be possible to be at peace. We may not suppose that the implied impossibility has in view any inability arising from our own weakness, as for example, the inability to restrain our own impulses or our anger or resentment. The impossibility is that of another character. It is a case of the objective impossibility, chiefly where truth, right, and duty command resistance. It would violate the witness of Jesus 
to demand peace at the expense of these priorities. The wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable. And we are to follow peace and holiness, as Philippi again observes, by the side of speaking the truth in love, must ever stand loving in truth. So there are times, the commentator is saying, there are times when unrest is appropriate. But for all other times, we are not to be the ones creating uh, problems. If, if it's out of our own anger, our own impatience, then that's a, a problem. If other people are causing unrest or injustice, then we are to step up and to speak out about that. But in all their other cases, we are to live at peace with each other. The challenge, of course, is that this is innately <laughs> difficult. Live at peace with everyone, everyone, Paul specifically says. And so that leads to our question today. What makes living at peace with everyone so difficult? Why is that so hard, especially in this time when there is so much division in the world? Now, there's a bunch of responses, as always, to this question, but three that we want to focus on today. Firstly, living at peace with everyone is difficult because living at peace, uh, because living at peace means that we have to uh, primarily focus not on the differences that we have with others, but we are to find common ground with others. You know, we are, uh, as, as Christians and as people of faith, we are really into sometimes being unique. I think this is particularly an issue for Christians as part of the Adventist tradition. We like the uniqueness of our system, you know, Seventh-day Sabbath observance. It's, it's pretty uh, unique. And so we like that. And there are other unique doctrinal elements and beliefs that, that maybe set us apart or make us uh, different, even down to like how, how we eat. It's unique and we like that. But to live at peace with each other, we also have to find common ground. Uh, consider this statement from one of the uh, founders of the Adventist movement, her name is Ellen White. She writes this, We are not to keep ourselves shut within four walls so that our light cannot come to others. There is common ground where we may meet those not of our faith, where we may agree in principles and in regard to the lessons of Christ. Few will become combative over these holy principles. <laughs> She's saying, hey, there are places that we can find common ground, even, even on uh, issues of, of, of ethics and, and morality. Common ground is such a great concept and such an important a part of living at peace. Find the things that bring you together. You know, I love, there are many aspects where we can find this. I love in particular how sports can do this in a community, for example. I mean, if you're ever at a sporting event and you see people from all different political persuasions and whatever coming together and, uh, and enjoying uh, the common ground of cheering for your local team. I remember I used to be a, a, a huge fan of football. I've since kind of given it up over the CT issues and the social justice issues. But anyway, I used to be a huge football fan. And one of my fondest memories is being at the stadium one time when late in the fourth quarter, my team marched down the field, and then I'll never forget the incredible corner of the end zone catch that one of the receivers made. And I mean, the place, I was the home team, and the place just went 
bonkers. And I was hug hugging people that I had never met before because we had found common ground in rooting for this team. Now, sports is one thing, but there are so many areas in which we can find common ground with each other as members of a neighborhood or a community and exhortation of the Apostle Paul's to do that. We got to find common ground if we are going to live at peace with each other. And for Christians and Adventist Christians in particular who love the uniqueness so, so much, we got we got to get over that sometimes and we got to find those things where we are in common ground with each other. So whether it's at the stadium rooting for your local team or it's in other areas, common ground is essential. And so this leads to our second response of why living at peace is difficult. Uh, it's often difficult because we don't take the time to understand where other people are coming from. You know, developing empathy is an essential part of living at peace with everyone. The New York Times had a great and prescient article back in January of 2019. So this is just a couple months before COVID broke out. But uh, the article was on developing empathy. And it offered these strategies. Dialogue with new people. Practicing active listening. If you want to grow in your empathy... If you want to live at peace with with the, each other, then first of all, you gotta you gotta be empathetic. You gotta you gotta know and hear what other people are saying and going through. And and so dialoguing with new people, not just the same bubble. You know, one of the issues that we have now with social media, but not just social media, even with our social cir circles. And of course, this is only exacerbated by the COVID crisis. Is that we we get in these bubbles and we only hear people who agree and with us and and think like we do. And so if you're going to develop empathy, if you're going to uh, enjoy the peace of all the people, dialoguing with new people, practicing active listening is so important. So starting conversations with people that uh, maybe you hadn't talked to before, strangers, inviting a colleague or neighbor to, th this is advice of the times, to go to dinner. Of course, that's more difficult now, but maybe to connect in another way uh, email conversations or on social media or so on, but connecting and actively listening. You know, it's one thing to talk to someone. It's a whole other thing to actively listen. One of the things that drives me crazy about uh, cable news, which I try never to participate in, but over the election, I, I will admit that I, uh, that I watched some cable news. And one of the things that absolutely drives me crazy is what seems like an absolute inability of most of the participants to actively listen to others. So, you know, they have these shows where they have two people come on or three people or whatever, and they end up like arguing with each other. And there is almost an, an, the incapability of actively listening to the other person. I guess that's not good TV. But if you're really going to develop empathy, then you have to dialogue with each other. And that involves actively listening, trying to understand what the other person is saying. That's in a part of, of, of living in relationship with everyone where you're getting along and living peacefully. The Times went on and said, hey, try out someone else's life. Well, how do you do that? You attend someone else's church. Again, this is a little tricky to do now in COVID, but hey, find a church that's streaming and go and then and listen to another church of a, of, of a, of a different persuasion, a different tradition or a mosque 
or a synagogue or other place of worship or uh, go and, 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 and visit an area or research an area, another part of the world or get engaged with another culture. These are ways in which we can learn about others and develop empathy. And finally, the Times suggested that we should join forces for a shared cause. This is a way to build empathy. Find a cause that you can join forces with other people. You can volunteer. You can get engaged. We have a volunteer opportunity here at Advent Hope. I was talking to Damien, who uh, volunteered at Jan Hus the last time, where you get to go and engage with other people, and you hear other stories, and you have this shared cause that we work together. Certainly, everybody who is volunteering at Jan Hus doesn't believe exactly the same thing as everyone else, but that's the beauty. Shared cause. This is how you build common ground. This is how we live peacefully with everyone. Volunteer, attend a protest, get together in a shared activity, a shared cause. We can build empathy this way. Finally, the last reason why living at peace with everyone is difficult is because we are tempted to disassociate with people because we determine them to be maybe immoral in some way. This is particularly an issue for people of faith. We don't like the way people do things or we feel like they're doing something wrong. And so we're like, I can't be around them. I can't be seen with them. I've heard that a million times and it's disheartening. I can't be around this person if they eat this or drink that or wear this or talk about that. I'll tell you what, you got to listen to Paul. So we're in Romans chapter 12, but in Corinthians, another letter that Paul wrote to a, a, a church in the first century, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 says this, this is Paul writing again. He says, I wrote to you, it's, it, you get the sense that he's like having to adjust and correct himself or correct the understanding that people had of him. You know, you write a letter and there's misunderstanding. And so he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But I now am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. What business is it of mine, Paul says, to judge those outside the church? Are you not, though, to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you, Paul says. So it's kind of a harsh message, but basically he's saying this. Look, if somebody identifies as a, as a person of the community of faith and they are doing something uh, outrageous or that's clearly... Uh, dictated that should not be a part of what the, uh, a follower of Jesus is about, then, then you're to, 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 to treat that person in a particular way. You're to, to call out their, their, their problem, and uh, you are to, 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 and if they're just going about their, their, their business like nothing is wrong, then that's an issue that you've got to deal with. But, but for the person in the larger uh, community, in the larger world, in your neighborhood, in your city, or whatever, <laughs> you, you can't treat them in the same way. In fact, we, we've got to not remove ourselves from people that we deem to be doing things that are different than us, that, that you're, you're not going to be able to live at peace with anyone. Think about it. Jesus himself actually spent a lot of time with people that the faith community deemed to be, quote, immoral. In fact, these were the people Jesus was actually around the most. He was a beacon of hope 
and love for them. Not succumbing to their ways per se, but involved and engaged and, and, and spending time with them. I mean, that is the reality. Of course, he got in a lot of trouble with the religious leaders of the time for that, but this is Jesus' own action. He was engaged with people. And so when we remove ourselves and say, I'm not going to be around some, a person because they do this or that, you got to be careful with that. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are moral issues that kingdom participants should indeed definitely stand up for. There are, there are, are elements that, that uh, we find uh, distaste for, that the Bible may instruct against, though, that don't require us to sequester ourselves or censure someone. Again, it's impossible to live at peace with everyone. And there certainly are people that we do need to stand up against. I mean, the overt white supremacist, I'm not saying go hang out on a picnic with them because who knows what's going to happen in that context. Nobody's talking about that. But for the most part, living at peace with people involves, again, finding common ground and learning to be empathetic and being engaged with them, not just removing ourselves because you don't like everything that they may do. Again, this is the example of Jesus. And so as we think about this, living at peace with everyone, the reality is, hey, it is difficult. Even with these clear instructions that Paul is giving us, it is difficult. And so as always, the question is, what hope do we have? How do we really embody this and live at peace with everyone as far as it is possible? Well, again, as always, it always comes back to Jesus. You know, Jesus was an expert at this. Think of the time when he, he was traveling through Samaria and he uh, met a Samaritan woman, a, a person that most of the people from his faith background from his community would not talk to both because of the gender difference, but also because of their ethnicity and their religious beliefs. And yet Jesus engaged her and had a great active listening conversation uh, with her. And so Jesus was engaged. Jesus practiced this, this uh, practice of being empathetic and finding common ground and not disassociating just because they were doing things that maybe he found to be problematic, but it didn't mean he was going to disassociate things. I mean, you think about someone who's problematic. How about Mark chapter 5, when Jesus uh, comes up on shore and he fall, finds a demonic man. I mean, if there is someone that I would think it would be difficult to uh, get along with and be empathetic, it would be someone who is demon-possessed, and you read the story, and what a challenging person that was. But you know what? Jesus was engaged with him and because of Jesus' engagement, because he just didn't take off and was like, I can't have anything to do with you because you have a demon, uh, this person was transformed and changed. And so Jesus has done what we find impossible to do or incredibly difficult. And so because of Jesus' work and because of Jesus' ability to do what is impossible for us, there is hope for us because when Jesus died, and when he rested in the grave, and when he was resurrected and became alive again, things changed for us because then we had the possibility to be empowered with the same spirit that Jesus had. So because of Jesus' sacrificial death, his resting in the grave, and his resurrection, we have hope that we can have the same kind of power that Jesus had. And this is incredible news. We're not going to be able to do it on our own. We're not going to be able to love everyone as, as, uh, as, 
as, and be at peace with everyone as Paul's instructing on our own. But because of the work of Jesus, because he's done it, and because of the spirit working in him, we now have access to that same spirit. Jesus, in his great prayer for the community, said this for, for the community of faith. All this I have spoken to you while with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace, Jesus said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. See, Jesus is, is, is praying for the community of faith. He's play, praying for kingdom participants, and he's saying, my peace I'm going to give to you. You don't have the peace that you need to, to get along with everyone and to live at peace with everyone and to live in the right kind of love with everyone. But Jesus has that, and his promise is that he will give that to us. My peace, he says, I leave with you. Again, we're talking about a theme that we've talked about throughout this series the theme of supernatural love. God has the ability to give you and me supernatural love for each other so that we can live at peace with each other, even people that we find to be incredibly, incredibly difficult. And look, if there is anything that the world needs right now, it is, it is people who are able to be engaged and be empathetic and find common ground with difficult people. The world needs people who are attuned and capable of having supernatural love to deal with and be at peace with difficult people. By the way, the reality is sometimes you're probably a difficult person, you know? So thank God God gives others this supernatural power too so that they can deal with you. Anyway, this is good news. We are not on our own to come up with this sense of peacefulness. God does this in us as we embrace and confess faith in Jesus the Spirit is empowered in us so we can have supernatural love. God gives the Spirit to us so that we can have the ability to live at peace with everyone as far as possible. And this is what the world needs today. When we call on the name of Jesus and confess faith in Him, we are empowered with supernatural love, the promise of Jesus. And so, as we think and continue to wrestle with what it means to be a participant in the kingdom of God and also engage in our world, a world that is broken and needs so much help, may God do in us what we cannot do for ourselves by giving us supernatural love and helping us to live as far as possible with everyone in peace. May he do this in us today. Amen.